BerserkerCast, episode number 14, Shoot the Moon Review. This is Drew Roy, also known as Hal Mason on Falling Skies. You're listening to the BerserkerCast on Golden Spiral Media. Golden Spiral Media presents... Berserker Cast, a podcast dedicated to falling skies on TNT. Each week we discuss the action and drama that unfolds as Tom Mason, Captain Weaver, the Berserkers, and the rest of the Second Mass fight to win back the planet from the alien overlords. Call in your thoughts about each episode at 304 837 2278 or email feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. And now, Berserker Cast. Welcome back to Berserker Cast, a uh, podcast dedicated to falling skies. I'm Daryl. And I'm Emily. And thanks for joining us for the last episode of Falling Skies, officially for season four. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. Well, as we said at the end of our last podcast, our discussion on the season finale, because it was two episodes, got to be so long, we decided to go ahead and break it up into two episodes. So we won't delay. Here is the uh, our discussion on the second half of the finale, of course, covering the episode entitled Shoot the Moon. All right. Well, that is the end of Oddity. Gets us into Shoot the Moon, which, as you already mentioned, was written by David Eck and directed by Greg Beeman. And Gannon starts us off with some feedback on this episode, too. He says, this episode, on the other hand, was downright amazing. Super intense and nail-biting on the edge of my seat the entire episode. Definitely had a sort of Stephen King slash John Carpenter horror feel. Very invasion of the pod people to me. (laughs) I felt every character's life in jeopardy, and they did a very good job in creating that tension, as well as the final showdown with Scorch. And I agree with all of that. It, 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 one yes, of our, we'll hear some feedback that'll call it like a B movie type of horror fill. And it definitely had that. Um, as I said before, though, I would have liked to have seen a little bit less fog monster, a little bit more dialogue uh, in the previous episode, but it was all those things that Gannon just mentioned. Yeah. I mean, with just the opening sequence in showing each group of characters, I don't know if if they're each suffering their own kind of turmoil, you know, waiting is as turmoil as watching your men drown in a sea of fog being eaten by skitters. I mean, there's a there's a lot going on in that opening sequence that really sets the stage for how helpless they are at this stage. Each one of them are they're all they can do is wait for Tom to blow up the lunar station. The, the moon station? What are they calling it? The power source. The power something. Yeah, the power source. Yeah. Lexi gives it a name and I cannot remember it, but. How many yeah. people were with Dingon? How many, how many people died? Well, it can't be more than 20 because that's all they have left. I thought a scouting mission was like seven or eight or something they said at one point, but I could just be pulling that out of nowhere. That's what it looked like to me. Somewhere between six and eight. We yeah. heard the number 20, you know, when at the very beginning of the last episode, Pope told Lexi that they were 200 and now they were right. around 20. Now, eight so. people died. We'll say six people died right there. So that's mm-hmm. going to, and let's let's say that there wasn't enough to say 25. So let's say there were 22. 
I don't know. I'm trying to be generous here. All right. We, we, there's more people than that. The numbers didn't add up, especially at yeah. the end of the episode. We kind of see them all kind of back together again. There was at least 25 people there, I think. So I don't know. Somewhere along the way, somebody forgot how to count. Or maybe they just picked up extra people. Well, and I would well, be okay with that, but I don't know where they suddenly picked. There was the idea that, hey, the, the ghettos are now open, but there wasn't time to get those people to them yet. Right, because even when Anthony comes back with his crew, he says that some of them made it, but some of them didn't. So right. they still lost more people in that scouting team. And that should be part of the 20. When Pope says mm. there's 20 of us left, he should be including Anthony's yep. group. It should be both Dingon's group and Anthony's group, plus the Masons right. and Weaver, which right. make up half of the 20 know, right? <laughs> in the first place. <laughs> so well, maybe Pope I'm forgot sure that account. I don't know. Yeah, and it, and it's really funny that we choose to point out things like this, but these are the things that shouldn't be that hard to figure out well in advance. That's right. I mean, these are the things that you say, don't get so specific. Right. I mean, this is you're you're, you're talking to sci-fi fans here. <laughs> We're gonna count the number of spikes on someone's back and make, that's not how many there were last time <laughs> yeah. did he grow another one you know we're going to be thinking about these things that's right we're but, the people that are looking for every little detail so right yeah so maggie and hal have a brief conversation here mm-hmm. uh, maggie says you really think we can be friends and hal says you were always my best friend while ben is over list or overhearing this and it was it was interesting i mean we didn't get very much we we get a whole bunch of hal quips throughout the episode you know it's been really hard to trust you guys lately and <laughs> or you know just stuff like that where he takes go, the uh, the binocular things help yourself you seem to be good oh, at oh, that yeah. <laughs> yes, yes exactly and and on the one hand you can see him knowing that this is the only way he's able to deal with what's going on yeah or what's going on between his brother and his girlfriend. But also, do you, do you, I don't know if we even have enough information at this point, but would you say that they're, they're trying to make us believe that relationship is over? Or at least they're on a break. <laughs> it never ends well for one party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's going to have a long, long letter that she's written to him in the season premiere next season. Oh, great. It's going to be friends all over again. (laughs) It seems like they were at least, seriously, I mean, uh, they're they're taking a break, it seems like, at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to figure out what's going on. They should recognize that probably love shouldn't be their top priority right now. Maybe survival should be. (laughs) Maybe just for, you know, a couple days anyway. Yeah, at least to get these spinning out of the way. Yeah. Right. So we get what is this thing that we're, we're, what are we going to call this fog machine that drops? Oh, uh, the f- skitterizing egg. I like that. The skitterizing egg. <laughs> I do like that. Let's talk about that. Let's kick that conversation off with some comments from Dustbin and the Polish blonde. I absolutely love the evil fog and the slimy monsters. It was proper B movie horror. I thought it was great. Being stuck to the floor, unable to move, waiting to be attacked by something you can't see until it's too late. Brilliant. Fantastic that Anne had a flamethrower to hand, and I'm glad Pope's little girlfriend came back. It was so lost without her. Then there were little comments Hal kept throwing in about Ben and Maggie being able to work together so well. Trying to sound okay, but he's clearly not. 
and the fact that Benny's not dead oh, makes me look forward to the next series. Secondly, those creepy flower pod things that were attacking all the humans that were left. Ew, ick, and ugh. But a great example of that biotechnology, that organic technology that the Ishveni seem to put, you know, use all the time in the show. Love the creativity of it and all of that. Yeah. It definitely had that B-movie horror feel where there's the fog, there's the oozing substance, there's something crawling around that bites and takes you over, turns you into a zombie. (laughs) All those elements that you love. Right. I, I think you put in here that it reminded you of something, and it reminded me of something as well. Uh, I know you haven't seen the show, but it's a British series called Primeval, and okay. it's pretty much all about dinosaurs where anomalies open and create a portal between time periods, and so you get a lot of dinosaurs coming back from prehistoric periods. And so there's this one episode in series two where uh, an anomaly opens into like a pre-Cambrian era, so 500 million to more years back into the past. I think it's even more recent than that, actually. But anyway, it, it does the same kind of thing where there's a fog lining the ground and it doesn't raise really over waist height, but then the creatures who come in through this portal are like the same kinds of creatures that we see here and they're, they're like worms that suck and attach onto people and eat them. But then when you clear the fog away, they can't survive. <laughs> so I, f- I found it so cool in that, in that they're almost like a, they're almost prehistoric in the way that they're presenting these particular creatures. I mean, I know they latch on in order to, we're assuming mm-hmm. these are the things that are, um, morphing people into skitters. But even so. Right. It's just, it was really cool to kind of see that. So, and at the same time, coming from the Cambrian period, have you ever heard of the, I think it's pronounced Burgess Shale fossils? The oldest fossils that have been preserved found in the Burgess Shale rock formations in British Columbia. So like 500 Mm -hmm. million years old or something. So the way that we see them, I'll put a picture of these in the show notes, but it just totally reminded me of these way prehistoric creatures that they were going back to model these after and and it kind of is very representative of this race of Ishveni in that they are an ancient civilization and yet they are so much more advanced than we are and how in primeval at least you get all of these really ancient animals coming through the portals and yet you really don't have a great way to combat them even though they're from long, long ago. You don't have them in modern times, mm-hmm. so you still have to figure out how to deal with them. But that's what I thought of when I was seeing this scene. It was yeah. so perfect and creepy in that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, that it, uh, gosh, my my, what it reminded me of it doesn't even compare to that. It reminded me of the, the you know the old like nineteen seventies movie, The Ten Commandments, with Charlton Heston and Yul Brynner <laughs> that gets shown on TV every okay. Easter. There's a scene in there where the death angel comes through, and if they don't have the the blood on the doorpost, then the firstborn is killed. And and so as the the death angel makes its way through the town, you start hearing the cries from the city as they discover the firstborn has been 
killed. And that's kind of what we had here, the fog kind of rolling in and then the cries from people from various locations as they are either being attacked by the worms or scared from what's happening and just the various states of distress that they found themselves in. Oh, that's that's a good one, too. So it was like a death angel coming through. Definitely death angel. Huh. I like that, too. (laughs) And what it did is once again, we've seen this time and time and time again this season, Weaver and Matt wind up together. I don't think they wind up together by any happenstance. Mm -hmm. I think Weaver is very much intentionally positioning himself near Matt, particularly with Tom out of pocket so much. And we even saw them before the the, uh, fog rolled in where uh, Weaver was helping Matt learn how to throw the knife and get him in the Mm -hmm. heart. And of course, you knew that was going to come into play later on in the episode. But, you know, as as they're, they're trapped and Matt is distressing and, and thinking it's all over, and Weaver's having him chant, it's not over till it's <laughs> over, or whatever they were chanting. Yeah. And it was nice to see them sharing yes. yet another bonding moment. Right. Well, now they they have really developed a trust there, almost father-son-like. Mm-hmm. And, man, I just loved the way that Weaver is still so much a fighter, despite everything he has been through. I mean... Yeah. That at that point it's just stubbornness. <laughs> and you don't even want to call it optimism anymore even though it kind of is. It's just amazing. Yeah. Well, you remember how he was back in season 2, I believe it was, when we first saw the overlords. Remember there was um, Blair Brown that was in an episode. Oh yeah. And we saw his house and he reached a point there where he was like, "I'm done." That's right. I'm not going back. You know, I quit. And he's come so far since that point. Yep. He he really has adopted all of these people as his own family mm-hmm. and probably none stronger than his relationship with That's Matt. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, here's what Mark had to say about that. I really enjoyed the scenes between Weaver and Matt. I don't know what it is with Weaver. In, in the first couple of seasons, he had taken Jimmy under his wing and had built him up, and he was really sad to see him go, but now he's doing the same thing with Matt. I don't know if it's because of his fatherly instinct that he now that he lost Janie, he was looking for her before, and, and he just missed somebody to, to pass on that fatherly knowledge. But it is working out. Matt's and him are really close together, and I do believe that... Weaver is actually a better father to Matt than Tom is. Weaver is giving him more leniency. He's allowing him to do more. He's there for him. He's listening to him. He's coaching him. He's critiquing him. He, he's just being a better father figure to Matt than Tom is. Not to say that Tom's not being a good father, but it just seems like Tom has so much that his mind is thinking on where Weaver, where Weaver used to be the man in charge. He's taken a back seat now and he can concentrate just on Matt where Tom has everybody in the in the second mask on top of his family to worry about. That's a good point. Uh, even though Tom is very much a professor and a teacher, his expertise is not in fighting. It's in teaching people how to make the right decisions and being a leader. And he just, I mean, he didn't really even train up Hal or Ben in the way that Weaver is now taking Matt under his wing. And in order for Matt to survive in this world, he needs that training. That's right. And I'd forgotten about about Weaver's relationship with Jimmy. I'm glad that Mark yeah. brought that back up, too. Yeah. He he sees yeah. potential in these young kids. Maybe he sees himself a little bit. Yeah, and it's got to be just a, a healing process for him. I don't know if he views it that way or not, but it gives mm, him someone to pour himself into since he doesn't have his own family anymore. Um, it's got to be a tremendous value to Weaver, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, especially in light of Genie. Mm-hmm. Well, back briefly to the weapon, the what did the, what did the Polish blonde call it? The flower something? Flower pod? Oh, <laughs> something. The, I don't know. The foggy flower pot? That's not what she <laughs> called it, but yeah. I don't know. Okay, the skitterizing egg. Uh, Mickey in OKC says, I'm not sure if I really liked the weapon unleashed on our band. It seems a little uh, like a little inefficient way to get the job done, but that's just me. Just another routine emergency. Again, Weaver has got to be the most optimistic person I've ever seen. I wonder if he really believes that it's not over till it's over, or if he's just trying to keep Matt from despair. To answer my own question, I would say both. However, he seemed to almost lose hope toward the end, and it was Matt who brought him back. Yeah. Very true. He mm-hmm. had to repay the favor some way. So Anne bursts in with the flamethrower. Because she had it lying around. I know, right? Well, when we <laughs> saw Maggie putting some like grenades into a grenade launcher earlier in the right. episode, I'm like, where did those come from? <laughs> um, so Anne, Anne finds the flamethrower. She turns into the flamethrowing heroine. Uh, Maggie saves Ben, and then together they can save Hal. And Sarah comes in, saves Pope and um, Dingon, wasn't it? Yes. And, of course, Lexi is the one that ends up saving the day with the uh, the part we haven't gotten to yet. So this was very much an episode of Women Save the World, and I thought it was pretty cool. Right. Well, considering how few female characters are actually on this show in the first place. Yeah. 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 All these men are, are making their plans and, and thinking they're going to save the day. Rushing into... We, we Yeah. Rushing headfirst into... What did he call it? Yeah. <laughs> Dingon <laughs> yells at Pope, you ran into the very thing I told you to stay away from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you, do you, yeah. He's like, I do that a lot now right. that you've mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was but good. What it, I mean, Pope screaming over and over, and stay yeah. out of the fog. I mean, <laughs> it was just, it Does was so to do funny. That? I was <laughs> laughing. <laughs> I was annoyed by it. It was annoying, but it was also very funny to me. It's like what are you what are you doing? <laughs> it was funny because again to, to the point of the women saving the 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 lives. Here he is trapped in his own stupidity. <laughs> literally and saying and yeah, literally. And don't go into the fog like you're the only one stupid enough to think it's okay to go. <laughs> if I see the fog coming from an alien thing that just landed from the Ashvini, I'm going to run the I don't need direction. someone to tell me to not run into that. I'm going to run the opposite just as you just said. I know. So it was pretty funny, but it was annoying. I felt like this part yeah. of the episode kind of took too long it to, to work itself out. His instructions yeah. to Sarah was hilarious, though. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> Although he was right. She's not really known to be a good shot. So I thought even though it was annoying still, he, he, he had reason. It's, to- it's, it's more... It- it it doesn't help the situation when you're constantly being told sure. what to do, though. That's just right. hurting the situation. Right. I agree with that. Well, this is great. We got some uh, comments on Sarah's return. We got Mark, and then we have Barb. Now, I would have rated this episode a 10 out of 10, except for Sarah. When Pope was on the ground there, and he was screaming, and all of a sudden, Sarah was there to save the day, I was tempted to just turn it off right there. Uh, I didn't realize how much I had grown to dislike this character, but for her to show up in the nick of time from nowhere, we got no indication that she was anywhere nearby, and for her to show up and be the savior and be this crack shot hero, which is totally opposite 
to what we had been seen of her before. I just thought was a real cop out on the writers. Yes, okay, they wanted to get her back, and but I think they could have found another way than for her to be the knight in shining armor. I would have found it more realistic if, uh, sorry, I don't remember his name, but the other berserker who died in the pilot episode where he ran into the fence and dis uh, and disintegrated, I would have found it more realistic if he would have been the one to show up and save Pope and just said that he hadn't been disintegrated, that the fence had just teleported him somewhere else, and now that the power is down, he had come back. I would have actually bought that more than the fact that Sarah just showed up out of no, uh, nowhere. Yes. How did she get there through the mist? She didn't say how she had got there. So that's what brought my episode rating mm. down. I know that some folks will be less than thrilled with Sarah's return in the nick of time to save Diagon and Pope, but I think the banter between the two of them is amusing and I'm looking forward to Pope's continued growth next year. <laughs> I love it. Those those two opinions couldn't have, have they completely canceled each other out. <laughs> and it's funny because yeah. I agree with both of them. I mean, I wasn't about yeah. to turn off the episode, but I was going, "Oh, you've got to be kidding me!" I thought we were rid of her, but then mm-hmm. the banter worked for me. This was the first episode that I actually enjoyed her in. I felt like like the the banter was more spot on than it had been in previous episodes, and. And more purposeful. Like before it was intentional to try to show us that they were building chemistry, but here you're actually talking about a real situation where she has to save them or they all die. Yeah, I guess so. She did say that she got a four by four. That's how she got back, which right. I thought was a little bit convenient, that that little part, but Yeah. What are you gonna do? They've they've had convenient no. vehicles show up times before, so no. I can go with it. Although I I am not with Mark when it comes to Lyle. If Lyle would have suddenly shown up and said, "Hey guys, thanks for turning the power off. I've got zapped." I came I back from like, the Come on. <laughs> I came back from disintegration. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny though. That was hilarious. That yeah. Oh. All right, so back up on the ship, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, gosh, this is great stuff. So did we talk about the, uh, their little ship docking on the big one? I really thought that we weren't going to see her again, but I suppose this is as good a situation to use her in as anything. Well, she seemed like the new Karen. I mean, not yep. totally what Karen was, but like they were trying to make her into the new Karen. Right. Or at least they that are. other kid that they had harnessed at the beginning of the season. Mm hmm. But I think True. I think Lexi is the new Karen, or was the new. Karen. Well, and, and as far as Overlord, yes. Yeah. But as far as Minion, that's kind of more what I was going <laughs> okay, for with yeah, the Karen got it. thing. So, yep. were you expecting the necklace to be no. the source of their control? No. Remember, we talked about this last week, yeah. And I said, no, nah, I think whatever it was died with the monk. I think it's the control devices. Is not going to be an issue, and I couldn't have been more wronger. Wronger. I was a little surprised that she didn't take it off as one of her first acts of being human. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was one of the first lines she says, I think, is, I wanted peace so badly that I believed their lies, and I would have thought that that Triskelion was a representation of that. Isn't that what she said in an early episode, that it was was Mm -hmm. Ishveni... Human Lexi. <laughs> I mean, yep. I would have thought that she would have taken it off, but maybe it just has become a part of her. Regardless, I was, I liked that it wasn't a control device in that it could, you know, make her act robotically. Like it wasn't a harness. It was more of a restrainer. 
It was a way for them right. to stop her from exercising her power. It was like a shock collar for a dog. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And, of course, what comes out of this is, well, a couple of things come out of this. That moment I alluded to earlier where all of us are cause have, have cause to go, oh, man, we've put our hope in Lexi and we were wrong. And she yeah. says, I delivered Tom to you just as I said that I would, but Scorch isn't buying it and doesn't re- release her, doesn't give up or, or uh, let up is the word I should say. And, um, yeah, but if, when she said that, I'm like, ah, dang it. I knew I shouldn't have trusted <laughs> Don't her. Don't it again. Yeah. And you I could know. see, you could see Tom's face momentarily uh-huh. believe her lie too. But, you know, there's something way different about the way she tells this lie. You know, there's, there's a desperation in it that wouldn't mm-hmm. come otherwise. And, you know, going back to how I was saying pieces of her humanity are revealing themselves as she is rejecting her Ashveni. Again, she she willingly lies and deceives, or tries to at least, which was one of the primary things she found so despicable about human beings in the first place. And so just knowing that she is willing to do that, or I don't know, maybe that she finally understands the context in which it's acceptable, it's kind of promising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <You're> like <laughs> <laughs> nothing says humanity like lying and deceiving. I think that should be the tagline for this podcast episode. <laughs> nothing says human <laughs> like lying and deceiving. Yeah, well, it does allow Tom to have a distraction enough to be able to inject Scorch with the whatever the poison I guess it was that was intended possibly to go uh, against. Yeah. Lexi. This was great. I loved it. I loved it, the immediate effect it had on Scorch. I loved the effect they did of it, like all the boils yeah. coming up on his skin there was some and stuff. Really cool it was effects. cool. You know, Mickey in OKC said that he had forgotten about the syringe and that it had taken him by surprise. Had you forgotten about it at that point? It was kind of out of mind when he pulled it out. I mean, I knew immediately what sure. it was, but I, I hadn't been actively going, okay, when's that going to come back? Because, you know, it's the whole thing, right? There's actually a, a rule of, or a, a law or something, one of those things where you present a gun in the first act, you use the gun in the third act. Otherwise, what's the point in showing the gun? Yep. And that's essentially what this was. They showed the syringe in the first act. It needed to come out before the end of the story. So... It wasn't a surprise, but at the same time, it wasn't in the forefront of my mind mm-hmm. going, okay, when are we going to see it? When are we going to see it? When's it going to happen? Right. Because we, we were shown it under the impression that Tom would use it on Lexi or in defense of mm-hmm. his own life, but he was right. really using it in defense of Lexi's life, which I really liked. Yeah. That's a good point. Although his own too. I mean, he was next. Yeah. But he, I mean, one of the first things he said to Scorch was, you know, don't lay a hand on her or something. <laughs> Mm-hmm. don't hurt her because of me <laughs> yeah exactly exactly what, That's what a he said. fatherly yeah. thing to say <laughs> or yeah. tom thing to say really and scorch is going after her face to burn because part of his face got burned when right. tom hit him with the flamethrower so he's trying to exact his revenge by scarring her in the same way that he's been scarred it was good but after that scorch is dead which was awesome mm-hmm. tom and lexi have one more bonding moment where he goes to the cocoon, they have this another little mind meld thing. She again is in regular hair, even regular mm-hmm. clothes, yeah. human clothes. Very teenage girl clothes. 
Yeah. 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 I love his line there too. Uh, something about, um, I am your father and you don't know everything. <laughs> that was yeah. perfect for one of their last time moments together. Well, we, we said all season that it was probably, you know, of all the things that could happen up near the top of the list would be that Lexi would sacrifice herself mm-hmm. to end it all or to overcome, to defeat the Ishvini, fill in the blank, whatever it was. But a sacrifice from Lexi seemed to be very likely. Well, that's exactly what we had happen here where she sends Tom off away in the uh, ship. She uh, stays in the, I guess the Beamer uh, and goes into the, the power source. Is she dead? Is she alive? What say you? They sure want us to believe she's dead. Right. And they gave us no indication that she had been beamed out and by what she said, it doesn't seem like she had the power to do it herself. So unless the mm-hmm. Volm got her at the very last minute, because we there was a little space of time there between the last time we see her and the ship flying into the power source that she could have been beamed out. I mean, I don't know. I think we'll get to this in a minute, but, you know, the last scene with Tom and as that new alien creature comes in i could have sworn that was lexi's voice or scarlet burns voice at least at the very end Mm -hmm. and so i mean i don't know whether it's just so close that it makes me think that or whether they're Mm -hmm. turning her into something else even for next season i don't want her to be dead i think that you know they they did so much work to make her human in this last mm-hmm. in these last two episodes that it would just seem so sad to lose that but also i mean that's kind of what this story is about it's about you know helping us to find what makes us human and they accomplish that well and we haven't talked a whole lot about it this season but we've mentioned it a couple of times and that is how lexi has very much been on the hero's journey yes right and we saw the fruition of the hero's journey in this episode exactly how you you read about it being played out. Reminds me of the Olivia Dunham hero's journey. Yes. And if you remember in her story, in Olivia Dunham's story in Fringe, she was she accepted her role. She offered up herself as the sacrifice and in a sort. I mean she she ended up yeah. being getting killed. Not not quite the same way Lexi did here, but she also came back from that death. And so uh that's that's when we when we look at these types of story arcs we we do feel a little bit robbed or we feel like it's incomplete unless we see a happy ending. And even though a tragic ending like this, dying as a hero, it is sort of happy. You, you feel good about it, but at the same time, you do want to, like you said, we just got her humanity. We just got her where we wanted her to be. And it would be a tragedy if it ended that way. You know, tragedies are great, but we don't love tragedies as much as we do fairy tales. Right. So... I think yeah. all of us would love to see her come back in some sort of way next season. And I think she will. I don't think she's dead. I don't know if she okay. cocooned herself. I oh. don't know if she had enough Ishvini in her or alien something in her to make her be able to withstand the blast. Or as you said, maybe the Volm swooped in and got her. I think something's going to, there's enough variables at play here where she is still alive and we can believe it. Not like Lyle where he got poofed and then comes back. That's not believable, Mark, but if Lexi was to live, there's enough variables there where we could believe that. Right. No, I, I 
completely agree with that. Very good explanation. All right. So Justina kind of think is thinking along the same lines as we are. Oh, okay. She's saying, I'm glad that Lexi found redemption, making the ultimate sacrifice to decimate the power source on the moon. A small part of me does wonder if Lexi not being fully human could allow her to regenerate or her human body is destroyed, but her spirit, soul, and or power may still be present to help the second mass and her family in season five. Mm, she could turn into an Obi-Wan spirit force. <laughs> They're borrowing from every sci-fi show and movie. Well, we definitely had the Star Wars moment again this week where it looked like they were, you know, all hope was lost. And then Han Solo comes in right as they're about to blow up the Death Star, hits Darth Vader's ship out of the way, and it allows them to go ahead and blow up the power source. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what uh, Barb and Mark had to say about Lexi's death. Now, I had predicted that Lexi would kill herself, sacrifice herself for her family and humanity, but I'm still, I'm about 99% sure that she did. There's that 1% of me that still doubts that she died. We never actually saw, we saw her driving, uh, flying the ship in, but with her powers, and she said the closer she gets to a, a mass such as Earth or the moon, she becomes more powerful. It wouldn't surprise me to find out that somehow she had saved herself and that we'll get her back. Probably not this season, but maybe in season five, we might see Lexi again. So Ben didn't have to sacrifice himself for Lexi. She sacrificed herself for Ben and the rest of her family. At the end of the day, she was still just a little girl looking for love and acceptance. Mm -hmm, Just like you said. Yeah. Although definitely not this season. And he, I, I know he just misspoke there because in a different comment that he made, he talked about this being the season finale and looking towards next season. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think I would prefer it if she didn't save herself, if, if somebody else came in and swooped her away. And I think that's uh-huh. why I said something about the Volm, because as she is aiming her ship at the power source, she is committed in that moment, it seems, to sacrifice herself for the humans. That was her intention. And right. and I think right. it would mean more to me next season if somebody else had saved her. Maybe whoever picked up Tom had picked up her first or something. Gotcha. Okay. So I, that's I just like where that. I'm coming from there. I like that a lot. Okay. Well, Mickey wrote in. Mickey says, I figured that Lexi would have to go to the moon because of her abilities. I'd wondered why they thought that a ship that they shot down would be space-worthy without some kind of testing to learn. It was shot down, after all. I'm sorry to see Lexi go in this episode, if she really is gone. I would not be surprised to see that she made a miraculous escape. I thought that she would be instrumental in... In defeating the Ishvini next season, I'm assuming that the humans are going to win somehow. You know what happens to people when they assume, don't you? <laughs> well, Mickey, we, no assuming. like I said, we like, we like fairy tale endings better than tragedies. So Very true. I'm with you, Mickey. <laughs> Ganon also believes that she's dead, by the way. So it's interesting where people are falling down on either side of this. Yeah, But I'm glad that there are some of both because, you know, like I said, it seemed like it was her intention completely to sacrifice herself. So it could go either way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mark brought up a good point. It was in something that I didn't include, but he mentioned that why did they not try to use 
was it was there was there no gunfire i don't he he worded it much better than this but the ship that she was on was it not able to shoot because the beamers were able to shoot so oh why didn't they just try to shoot the power source with the ship that she was on? What did what did uh, Scorch destroy before he died? Was that just the navigation or autopilot or something? It was. It was. Yeah, the autopilot. Okay, maybe she just didn't know how. But that's yeah, a good point. Know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that kind of leads us to the end here. It seems like the Ishfini are pretty much defeated. At least they're like all four original overlords are now dead, right? Right. And their power source is down. Not to say that they're dead. Uh, they still, I think, have their skitters and mechs and mega mechs and yep. all the other things that are going on at the warehouses. They still have a big arsenal out there. It seems like they have really been weakened. Yeah. Definitely weakened because I would assume that if that egg was deactivated, then all of the mechs would be too. So the mechs definitely should be. Mm-hmm. We are probably only dealing with um, skitters. And if there are any Ashveni left, I, I don't know if we've seen more than the overlords, but that's what I would assume. Yeah. Making yeah. them extremely vulnerable. Right. <laughs> and if the Volm are going to step in and help them... Right. Then you would think that the Ishveni are all but defeated, which gets us to the last scene. You already mentioned it. Um, and that is where we see Tom wake up. There's some sort of hologram world around him. He mm-hmm. sees someone, something. We see their reflection in the mirror. The There's all these different quotes going on, including one that says, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. What do you make of this scene? Well, I tried to I tried to take a closer look at those pictures on the wall and I really couldn't find much about them. I mean, one was a playground, one appeared to be a lake, one kind of looked like cattle or something, and then one was just a portrait of a woman. Mhm. But then you're looking at the stuff around him too and it, it almost looked like there was a one of those uh motion sickness bracelets on the counter. <laughs> hmm. But I mean, it, I was just trying to see if I could identify anything. But if if the picture of his family is a hologram, but the bed he was sleeping on is not, right? I my question is <laughs> whether whether it's if it's not. I mean, it could just be one of those things where you know, in the future, instead of picture frames being real, they're just holograms. I mean, it could be something like advanced technology, or it could mm-hmm. be. I mean, or it could be another dream sequence. I mean, it could be something that he's been induced into, right? I mean, just based on what we have to work with here. But I hope that's not it. I hope that he's actually on a ship somewhere. But to what extent? I mean, it's just, I mean, the the, the possibilities are just so cool here. (laughs) And this, and this is one thing that I was really hoping we would get from this show from the very beginning in that, we have aliens coming down to Earth, but what about humans leaving Earth and venturing out into the deep blackness, into the vacuum? Yeah. You know, I, I I am so fascinated by this, and I really hope that it's legitimate and it's not just a dream state. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's a dream state. I, I think they've okay. done that enough, and I think that it could be. That was something that came to mind as well, but I don't think I don't think so. We got a lot of comments on this. We, it's even going to be tied into our BC Twit question here. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, let's start listening to some of these listener contributions about this whole thing. Let's start here with Barb's comments on the Volm. It was interesting, but not surprising to see that Cochise has daddy issues. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, until the enemy is vanquished. So will Daddy Volm be an advocate for the humans when the Asphenia are finally defeated, or will he believe that they are a problem in the universe? Perhaps Cochise will need to make a choice between his friend Tom and his father, much like Jonathan did with David and Saul in the Bible. Will Tom be forced to kill the Volm? Remember, Emily, none of my predictions come true. <laughs> and thank goodness for that. No. Yeah. I don't know. You know, you know last season we had all these questions on whether or not we can trust the Volm, and then they we kind of got to where we could trust him, and then at the end of the season all those questions were raised again. Yep. And it, I'm glad she brought it back up because, really, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and if that enemy is no longer there, then we are now enemies. And that could be what happens here with the Volm. Interesting. Kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Well, Gannon hmm. said, Volm are back, baby! <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to see the Volm return. I can't wait to see Cochise and his father's relationship expand and also hope to see some new Volm characters. I think that's a good possibility. What do you think? I don't know if we'll see new Volm I mean, I'd like to, but I think it's more mm-hmm. likely that we're going to see this, whatever this race of aliens that picked up Tom is, because uh, I'm assuming they're different from either of the you other two that we've seen. think they're different from Volm? I think so. Okay. Because they spoke English <laughs> and sounded like Scarlet Burn. That's my only reason. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Well, the Volm speak English. Well, not well. They speak it robotically and very formally. Yes, they do. And say Tom right, Mason. <laughs> no, and, and Mason. We got that, too. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, here's what the Polish blonde had to say about that ending scene. My last thought is of the final sequence. Again, it's sort of like a dream sequence. Right at the very end of the episode, Tom wakes up, but he can't touch anything. He reaches out to touch the picture and his hand goes right through, sort of like a holodeck type of effect. So that made me think about this a little bit. We only see the alien that's talking to him as a reflection in the mirror. And it kind of looks like a giant squid. Is that what Tom sees? Or is he seeing something really different? Because he says, my gosh, you're beautiful. And I don't think he'd say something like that in and about a squid. (laughs) Just my opinion. Just my impression. See, I knew this was coming, so I was just kind of letting you get your thoughts out there so that you could be blown away by this comment and try to come up with a response. Let's hear it. I think she's prejudiced against squid because I find squid (laughs) to be beautiful. I mean, if I had that many legs... (laughs) I would get so much done. (laughs) Oh, boy. I like the idea because what we saw was a reflection of what he saw. Mm -hmm. So I like the idea of whatever he saw was cloaked in some way. And what we saw was the reality because what we saw was a reflection of the creature. And he didn't see what we saw. Which would be a way to resurrect the character of Lexi 
in that he's projecting onto this creature the person that he wants to see the most. Uh And so instead Uh of, I'm I'm only saying this because I actually felt like I heard the actress's voice. I know you did. Okay. I know you did. Yes. I'm not trying to push it, but you know, just like that. I I hadn't even thought of it because it didn't look like a squid to me. It actually looked like an ant. (laughs) I didn't think it had that many arms, but it looked rather skinny. Um, and how many legs did you think it had? It looked like two with an antenna or two or four. Sorry. Like, yeah, to me, it looked like it had four or maybe even six legs. Yeah. It looked like four legs and then like it was, it was standing on its hind legs and then there were antenna coming off of its head. That's, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so funny that people have described this in so many different ways. Oh, uh, Ganon. Okay. I think Ganon agrees with me here. Uh, oh no, he agrees. Okay. He says, wow, (laughs) what exactly was that? The reflection to me seemed skitter-like, especially the head, but it clearly wasn't. It also had a crab octopus look. It had four arms and legs, so I guess the octopuses he's seen have four legs. I'm not sure. <laughs> or four arms and four legs together makes eight, I suppose. Uh-huh. Uh, the voice sounded very similar to the Lexi, to Lexi's actress, Scarlett Byrne, who is British. I firmly don't believe it's her, but David Icke provided a great deal of teasing in EW uh, Entertainment Weekly on what this uh-huh. thing is. Me, though, I have no clue, but I can't wait to find out and get to see this story arc wrapped up. I love that. When he when he said skitter, that made the most sense to me. Okay. We know that the skitters are not what oh. they are. They have been skitterized. Oh. So it would make sense that creatures would come in wanting to overcome the Ishveni and fight for those who alongside those who are fighting with the Ishveni. And Tom would see them and recognize them for what they are and go, you're so beautiful because all I've ever seen of you is the skitterized version of you. I love this, Ganon. I, I like it. love it too. I wasn't thinking that when he when I was reading it, but when you explain it like that, I love that. I really, really love that. And if it's not that, I'm yeah. going to be really angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is so that interesting. Is so. We've got so many points of view on this. Yeah. And the, Thank you so much to everyone who wrote in on this and called yeah. in on this. I'm so yeah. glad we had so many points of view here. It really yeah. helped to round this out. Well, so let's, Darryl, uh, let's give yeah, yeah episode rating? ratings. I gave it eight fog machines. Just a little bit low, like I said. Some of the fog stuff got a little old for me. Maybe I should have gone 8.5 fog machines. Okay. Well, I'll let you you bump it up. (laughs) I I split mine up. Uh, I gave eight and a half father-daughter cocoons to Space Oddity, and then nine Lost in Space references to whatever the second one was Shoot the moon. Mm. Shoot the moon. Thank you. Yep. Barb gave it 8.5 flung knives and flaming torches. Mark gave it 9.75 father-daughter moments. Gannon gave it 9.5 melting overlords. Mickey gave it nine kamikaze attacks. And Justina gave it 9.5 lost ships. She says the only reason it didn't get a perfect score is because it is that time of year again. Time to wait to see how Tom Mason gets out of his predicament. Lost in space, counting the days until next summer. Well said. <laughs> yeah. 
Definitely. Yeah. Overall, I liked it a lot more after discussing it. I, I mean, there were some slow parts, but there's just so much rich character development in it. And that's always what makes me love it in hindsight and talking about it. Right. Same here. Well, Ganon uh, has a prediction for us to leave with here. He says he thinks that there will be a time jump. The Volm and the Second Mass will be kicking Eshveni butt and taking names until Tom and his new friends arrive, which will change the war forever. And I'm sure they'll have a... And he's sure that the Eshveni will have a few more tricks up their sleeves. But time jump isn't all Mm. that surprising. Or They've done it every season. They almost always do. They've got a lot of young Mm -hmm. actors that they need to account for. (laughs) But I think... uh, didn't uh, Doug Jones say that they're just starting filming here in the next month? Yep, September. September, okay. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. All right. Well, are you ready for some Twitter poll action? I am indeed. All right. This week's Twitter poll question was, are Tom's saviors a brand new threat or a brand new ally? So, Tangier 14 says, they will be a threat until Cochise convinces his father otherwise. (laughs) Uh, Talk Media says, Tom's saved by female Volm, hence his, I had no idea, you're beautiful. He's he's referring to Cochise's smoking hot wife. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Wolfbite says, I think they are the unskitterized skitters and they are an ally until the Ishveni are defeated. Dude. Mm-hmm. Nice. Jovial Falcon says, just another veil for Tom and the viewers of the show. His wife was shown twice via photo, so they use her for tricks. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jim in Wisconsin says, must be the bigger threat that we were warned about. But why capture Tom and why does he see that it's so beautiful? Lexi is alive. Hashtag. Hashtag Lexi. Yes. That's right, man. (laughs) Bianca Christine says, I'm hoping enemy because ally is too convenient. Enough already. (laughs) I see it as the opposite of that. I mean, they've been attacked from just about every alien creature they've ever met, except for the Vulm. So (laughs) that's true. I think they need more allies. Yeah. Ally would be fun. Yeah. And Mickey Thomas says, I think that they will be an ally, but I don't think that he is seeing what we saw in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Man, I am so glad that people contributed to that in that way, because I didn't even think about that reflection being something other than what it was, to him at least, you know, because we all see beauty in different ways. It's very aesthetic mm-hmm. and very subjective. And so you never know what a professor of history is going to think about <laughs> these kinds of things. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Well, next week, we have nothing. You had to go there, didn't you? Yeah. Well, it's that part of the episode. We would tell what the episode is called next week, but we don't. We have next season. Of course, we don't know the start date or the name of those episodes, but we do know it will be next summer. And we do know that, did you see the previews for The Librarians? It looked like it was a new show starting soon on TNT that's going to have Noah Wiley in it. I did know he was going to be in the show, but I have not seen previews for it. It reminded me of maybe like a Warehouse 13, where there's know. these artifacts that have value, uh, historical significance, and they're trying to protect them or something. Interesting. So, I like Yeah, this. I was intrigued because I liked okay. Warehouse 13. Yes, me too. Well, we will be back next season to do a recap episode before 
uh, mm-hmm. jumping into the season at the very least. You know, if something else comes up, keep your dials tuned. And of course, we have a whole slew of podcasts for your listening pleasure this fall from Golden Spiral Media. Emily, which one are you going to be doing? I am doing a podcast called Central City Underground, and that is about The Flash coming or Mm -hmm. airing, premiering on the CW October 8th or October 7th. I think it's October 7th. What are you doing, Daryl? I am doing... Two podcasts. I'm doing the Grace Point podcast with Clint, my original partner from the Fringe podcast. And I'm doing the Person of Interest podcast with Doug. Doug and I did a season of that with TV Talk. Now we're bringing it over to Golden Spiral Media. And if those don't interest you for whatever reason, I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't, but we also have an Arrow podcast called Arrow Squad. We have Beyond Storybrook, which is a Once Upon a Time podcast. The Blacklist Exposed, which is self-explanatory. Don't Blink, which has already started our Doctor Who podcast. We have a yet-to-be-named Gotham podcast. The Sandbox, which is our Shield, our Agents of Shield podcast. And we have The Witness Prophecies, which is our Sleepy Hollow podcast. So lots of stuff to check out this fall. You can go over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash podcasts. And find all of the stuff that we have for your listening pleasure. Indeed. So much new stuff coming your way. So much to get excited about. And whatever yeah. you're watching, there's probably going to be a podcast for it. So, you know, <laughs> you might as well just that's subscribe right. to the all-inclusive feed because that's how you're going to know. Exactly. Which you can do at goldenspiralmedia.com slash podcasts. Nice. I wish we could tell people to, like, send in feedback or, you know, yeah. tune into the live show. but. Not for another hmm, nine months or so. That's right. But yes, Daryl, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you about Falling Skies again this season. It has. I will miss it. But we'll be back next season, as you said. And until then, don't forget that resistance is never, ever futile. And it's extremely easy to get carried off by aliens.